Right, well, good morning, everybody. My name is uh, Martin Wilson. I'll be chairing this uh, last breakfast briefing before Christmas. Um, I'm very pleased to welcome John Simmons, who is Deputy Director of Home Office Science, Migration Border Analysis. Uh, the, his research unit has been doing some very interesting and important work over the past um, few months and, and years, and um, uh, we're very pleased to have him uh, report some of the findings yesterday. Okay, thanks, Martin. Okay, um, so I am. I'm just going to spend a brief time this morning talking about two reports that we uh, published over the summer. Um, the Migrant Journey second report, which is that, well, the Migrant Journey report is the second um, report on the Migrant Journey database and analysis of passenger migrants through the immigration system, and also a piece of work um, called Family Migration Evidence Analysis, which I think many people um, know much about, and I'm just going to give you a very brief overview of that and what it contains. There's actually quite a wide-ranging collection of different bits of evidence around family migration. I just think it would be quite interesting for people. Um, I wanted to tell you a bit about these two reports, because I think anyone that's working in the migration field doing research on migration ought to know about them, ought to understand what, they, what they're about and what they can provide. Um, and I also really want your ideas and thoughts about what the information means, what the research means, and what we can do um, beyond these reports to kind of expand this sort of knowledge base. Um, both reports are published on the Home Office website, and uh, there is a link in the slides. Slide back. Right, the migrant journey, first of all. Um, essentially, the migrant journey looked at the information held on immigration service data and the UK border agency databases. Um, and tracked the cohort of migrants that arrived in 2004 and looked at what visas they applied for when they originally came, what visas and extensions and, and switching they did um, over the course of a number of years, and their status at the, in every year up to 2009, including whether they applied for settlement. Um, it's the first time, actually, we've been able to do that kind of analysis based on um, UK border agency data. Um, there are various reasons why it's the first time. It was actually quite fortunate that we were looking at this at this time and related to the introduction of new databases which made this sort of analysis possible back in around 2003 um, and of course the time it takes people to pass through the immigration system and get to a point where they're permitted to apply for settlement which takes quite a number of years so really when we start out this work in sort of 2010 um, it, it, it was really the first time we were able to do things in this way um, this slide gives some of the headline findings from the migrant journey um, in those terms, and as you can see, um, essentially it looked at the main categories of non-visit visa that arrived in the UK in two, 2004. Um, family, skilled work essentially that, that has a part to citizenship, and temporary work doesn't, and then students as well. Um, some very large numbers of migrants arrived in 2004. Um, in the family, uh, family visa route, there were over 60,000. Um, and the migrant journey tells you things like the proportion of those migrants who arrived in 2004 who are still in the UK with valid immigration status by 2009. Um, so on the slide, 63% is the answer to that question. It also tells you how many of these people arrived in 2004 had attained settlement um, five years later. And for the family group, that's 55%. For skilled workers, over 100,000 arrived in 2004. Um, four in ten of those were still there five years later, and three out of ten, roughly, had achieved settlement. So, of those roughly 100,000 workers that arrived in 2004, 30% um, had um, settled within, uh, after five years. 
And of course, the other, the 10 or 11% gap between those two statistics are an indication of people who still had valid needs to remain, of course, in 2009. And some of those may, of course, apply for settlement um, after that period. I mean, they just haven't done so yet. The temporary workers, where there isn't a direct route to settlement, of course, numbers actually obtained settlement is much, much smaller, only 3% within five years, and they would have obtained settlement essentially by switching into other categories where there is a route to settlement, so skilled work or possibly through marriage, for example, the family route. Um, and then students, um, the other big number that's got a, uh, probably the most coverage in the press, actually, when we released this originally. Um, very large number arriving in 2004, um, 185,000. Um, roughly a fifth was still here five years later. Only 3% of achieved settlements, but of the fifth, well, we'll come back to what the other, the rest of those who are still here were doing at the moment. Um, let's just look at the skilled, route, skilled work route. Um, this is a typical chart in the migrant journey analysis, and it might be a little hard to grasp initially, but it's, it's actually quite straightforward. Um, essentially, it looks at the status of the people who arrived in 2004 in each year up to 2009. And you can see a very clear pattern here. In 2004, within a year, roughly 80% of those arrived in 2004 were still here with valid status, and 19% um, had left the immigration system. Now, those grave blocks are interesting, and there's a lot of debate about what they mean. It, it means we no longer have a record of them holding a valid visa. Um, what it isn't is a test of where they actually left the country, and there's a real debate about the degree to which, of course, people um, may have left the immigration system but are still here, um, essentially overstaying. Um, but you can see the pattern over the years. Um, a fifth had left within one year, 32% had left the immigration system within two years, and then it starts stabilising and getting to the point after five years, where roughly six out of ten of the migrants who came for skilled work had actually left the immigration system. Um, and as I said before, 29% had obtained settlement, and the other 11% um, were still here with a valid skilled work visa. And that's essentially how the migrant journey works, and that's, that's the pattern throughout. So if you look at students, for example, um, again, same sort of chart, but uh, different colours, because they've obtained a different visa, and the green is, is a study visa. So here, again, students, a lot of students come for just one year or less than a year. 16% um, have left um, within that year in which they arrived. Um, and then you see the pattern as it emerges, and you can see students starting to move after two years into a work category. And then by the end of the period, we've got 7% who are still here from that 2004 cohort doing skilled work, 6% who are still in the education system on a, on a valid study visa. Um, there's a very small proportion there who have settlement, and there's also a small proportion who have moved into the family route as well. Um, and 79% have left the immigration system. This is the family route, um, and again, very similar sort of picture, but the rate at which people achieve settlement, of course, changes, and their um, propensity to um, apply for settlement, of course, is very different, and you'd expect this from family migrants. You'd expect them to have a more of a permanent commitment to the UK and want to stay here longer. So within two years, and it's... Um, 43% had already achieved settlement, and that's because people coming with a family visa only need to wait two years, or this time had to wait two years, family, to apply for settlement, um, whereas obviously workers have to wait um, five years. So that's the pattern. You can see that actually people who want to apply for settlement coming through the family route tend to apply for settlement easily quickly. 
um, 43% done so pretty close to the time when they were first allowed to apply. Um, another interesting aspect of the migrant journey analysis is um, it allows us to track obviously the main routes um, settlers take and look not, not only look forward from the 2004 cohort but also look backwards from those who were actually granted settlement in 2009 um, and essentially that's what this chart does of those who were granted settlement in 2009 um, roughly a third um, had come initially through the family route um, another third had come through the skilled work routes there's quite a large group who essentially came with a, a more direct route settlement. I'll, I'll just talk about that in a moment. Another 13% um, originated in the study route. Um, that's also quite interesting because, of course, students don't have a direct route to settlement, so in order to remain here, they wouldn't have had to apply for a skilled job or you know, a Tier 1 or Tier 2 visa um, or got married or some, something like that. The direct route settlement is, a, is an interesting one. Um, we looked into this. I mean, essentially, a lot of this is essentially long-term migrants whose original visa category um, wasn't available to us because they arrived prior to the establishment of the databases in 2002-2003 or thereabouts. Um, so we're not clear whether they originally came to work or to study. Um, some of them are family reunion cases, so for example refugees who get refugee status may apply to bring that close family members um, to the UK. Um, there's a large group who are dependent children um, and there are also some who have been granted um, settlement on the basis of compassionate grounds or um, just because of the length of time they spent in the UK and they've applied under long residency rules. So that's what that chart shows. And as I mentioned, the database also allows us to see the different routes people take um, to achieving settlement. So this essentially cuts the same data in a slightly different way um, and indicates Obviously, the, the largest proportions are taking direct route settlement. They come as, um, on a family visa and go eventually directly to settlement. Again, that's, that's roughly a third. Um, skilled workers, um, there's a large chunk that go directly into settlement, having arrived here to do the skilled job, um, that other settlement group. But there are also some switches and some quite large numbers, as I've indicated. I mean, students who come here, of those who actually were granted settlement in 2009, 8% were people who originally came as students but then transferred into a skilled, into a skilled job or, or one of the, um, the work groups. Um, <clears throat> another 4% were stu students, well, people who arrived here to study initially, but then transferred into the family route, probably through marriage, and so on and so forth. There's lots of other much smaller categories and slightly more obscure routes, but essentially um, those, those are the large ones. What's the third one, please? Because it what's just the, says settlement. <laughs> what's settlement mean? What, what does it mean? Where it does it says family to settlement, work to settlement, and then line three it says settlement. To yeah, that's the one that I was talking about on the previous, um, the earlier chart, which are people who we don't have a record of the original right. entry into the country because it probably it predated. Well, they, they're either children, um, or it predated um, the establishment of the databases on which this data was based. So. Um, all that information was in the first Migrant Journey report, which was published in September 2010. This summer we published the second report, and that looked at the different patterns amongst um, the largest nationalities who, who applied for non-visit visas um, in the UK. 
And it does emphasise some really um, sort of striking differences in the different approaches different nationalities take to, to coming to the UK and the sorts of reasons they come for. Um, as this chart shows, I mean, the largest nationalities, um, those coming from India, um, their dominant entry clearance route is, is skilled work um, or one of the, the general work, work visas with a route settlement. Um, over half of the Indian nationals who arrived in 2004 and then applied for settlement in 2009 <coughs> um, have come through that route. Um, that's also true for the Filipinos who arrived in 2004. And of course, it's worth remembering um, this is a picture of one year's cohort, just the 2004 cohort. So we're not saying that that's necessarily reflective of, for example, Filipinos who are arriving now. I suspect the picture is quite different for that nationality. But it's a picture of what happened in 2004. Um, for other nationalities, um, people from Pakistan, Bangladesh, um, they, their dominant entry clearance route was the family route. Um, and again, over half of those nationals who applied for settlement in 2009 originally came with a family visa. Um, and there are some others. I mean, that, that obscure direct settlement route um, was a big, big factor for Nigerians um, in 2004. Um, different routes revealed some significant differences in different nationalities and, and I suppose, their cultures. Um, these are slightly more complex tables, um, but I'll try and explain them. The top one is about the essentially the skilled work route or the work routes with a, a, a direct route with a route settlement. Um, and they look at the cohort um, from 2004. Um, the first column shows the proportion of that route um, comprising dependents. Um, that's quite surprising, actually, for me, um, because when I think of skilled workers, one thinks of people who are coming to these skilled work jobs, but large people attached to those visas um, are dependents, it could be wives, um, some of them would be children, for example. And it varies quite a lot between different nationalities. Um, these are the five largest nationalities in 2004. <coughs> um, so these are the, the most significant ones, and even within these, it varies a lot. Um, and then, of course, you've got the usual pattern you can produce from the migrant journey. Um, those whose leave had expired and they've left the immigration system, um, again, some variation there. Um, and those with valid leaves remain, those who applied for settlement. And again, you know, quite stark differences between different nationalities. Um, people from the Philippines who arrived in 2004, um, very large proportion had dependents, and a very large proportion have also achieved settlement within five years. For other nationalities, Americans, Ukrainians, for example, the proportion who seek to stay here and settle here is much, much smaller of those coming to work, that is. The, the lower chart is the same pattern um, for large nationalities who came originally with a family, family root visa. Um, and again, some stark differences. Um, the dependents' numbers are much smaller because actually people coming with a family visa obviously are the dependents in a sense. They are people coming to marry, for example. Um, so they wouldn't necessarily have additional dependents, although some of them do. Um, and you can see the proportion staying and eventually settling varies a great deal. Um, people from Pakistan, <coughs> India, Bangladesh, some very high proportions remaining to settle. Um, for other countries, as perhaps one might expect, Australians, New Zealanders, Americans, the proportions are much lower. And these are people coming um, essentially for a family purpose, probably to marry in, in, in the main. Okay, that, that was all I was going to say about the migrant journey. It's a very rich report. Um, there's an awful lot of information in there, but pretty much of that nature. You've got a very brief, kind of rapid summary of what it's about there. 
Um, the other report that I wanted to talk about was the Family Migration Evidence Analysis report we published uh, in August. Um, it's a pretty wide-ranging compendia of lots of different bits of information from lots of different sources. Um, it's not a classic research report that kind of has a really clear question and then you know, 20 or so pages that explains um, the answer to just one question. It looks at lots of different questions that we were asked, um, primarily from ministers, from policy officials, from people trying to produce impact assessments on the different policy changes. They had requirements with different bits of information, so we searched all the different sources that we could find um, and try and collate, we tried to collate all this together in one place so it was available and so we could actually put it in the public domain it was available for everyone to, to have a look at and, and analyse. So it includes information, um, background information from some published national statistics on the family migration route. Um, it has information from border agency management information sources um, um, and analysis of switching, for, for example, from the migrant journey. Um, we we analysed some labour force survey data and also get wage and salary information, for example, of family migrants and their sponsors. Um, we did a sample of visa application forms to try and get some additional information on particular questions that we wanted to understand about family migration. I'll talk a little bit about some of those. And, and various other sources of information. So it's pretty wide ranging. Um, it's pretty hard to find this information report, I have to say, um, because it is this kind of big compendia. So unless you know about this report, know to, know to go and look at it, you might not be aware that some of this information is available. But it gives you a very good picture of the wide range of different sources that are available when we want to um, try and understand migration. Um, so just to give you uh, a quick overview of some of the information, not all of it, um, this report holds. Um, we want to understand more about migrants coming from marriage, and this information is not routinely available necessarily from, from normal statistics. So, um, for example, we looked at um, some of the management information to look at the gender breakdown between different nationalities to see how this differed and how this varied. Um, sample of 17, 18,000 cases, and you can see from that, from that um, we can see there are some quite um, interesting differences. Um, um, essentially, people coming from marriage from Thailand, China, Afghanistan, these are predominantly female. Um, for other nationalities, that is less the case, although female, um, females are essentially two-thirds of the people who um, generally come to marry um, through the, the immigration system. Um, but for some nationalities, that varies quite a lot. And um, interestingly, Nigerians, a um, slight, very small majority in the sample we looked at, um, were male, so roughly 50-50. Um, we were also able to look at the age breakdown of people coming to marriage, coming for marriage. Um, this is kind of interesting because this, this table looks at the data for the two years after that brief period when the Home Office um, increased the uh, minimum age for marriage. Um, prior to this time, um, the minimum age was 18. Um, for 2009-2010, broadly speaking, it was 21. Um, and there are a few cases here recorded as being 18 to 20. That's essentially legacy cases um, where the application came in, in that earlier period. Um, but again, you can see some very stark differences between different nationalities. Um, essentially, people come from the Indian subcontinent um, and, um, and Afghanistan um, much, much younger than other nationalities coming here in order to marry. Um, again, this is not a picture where we have reliable statistical evidence before.
another question we had is, of those who are applying to marry, um, who are they coming to marry? What is the status of the person they're coming to marry? And we <coughs> looked at this through taking a sample of case files, um, 531 cases overall. So some of the, the picture for individual nationalities based on relatively small numbers. So I, I wouldn't dwell too much on the individual percentages. Um, but the overall picture is, is quite an interesting one. Um, roughly six out of 10 of those who come to marry are coming to marry someone who is a British citizen from birth. Um, but four out of 10 are coming to marry someone who was previously a migrant themselves. Um, and who had obtained citizenship or settlement. Um, that, again, 40-60 split is, is an interesting statistic. Um, it's not one that we had previously or aware of, but it's an obvious or an interesting question to ask, perhaps. Finally, um, the last bit of information that I just wanted to share with you before we kind of discuss some of this and what it, what it means is, is another kind of information that we get from our sources in the UK Border Agency. Um, this is not actually from the board agency itself. These are records of reports from, um, from, from the marriage registrars where they have a suspicion of um, the marriage being in some way uh, suspicious or dodgy, essentially a sham marriage. Um, they do report this to the UK border agency routinely and the UK border agency then in, um, investigates um, these cases. Um, so we've, we've got reports, they're called Section 24 reports, and you can see the trend in the top table. Um, there were 452 in 2005, um, and roughly double that number in 2010. You can see the trend is actually a bit down and a bit up. Now, obviously, a kind of critical question when you're dealing with op essentially operational administrative data of this sort is, does it actually reflect reality, or is it just a reflection of perhaps priorities of the organisations doing the work, or um, the amount of resources they have available, or even their just their attention? If someone told them to you know, up their game and look um, with a bit more depth at um, sham marriages in 2010, then one might to rise. So it's always really difficult to interpret these sorts of data and the trends and what they mean. Um, however, we do have this data, it is routinely available and it is important to try and understand what it means and um, 900 cases um, of reports of sham marriage are, are not to be sniffed at. This is you know, it's quite a significant number. Um, it may be the tip of the iceberg, maybe something else. Um, it's very difficult to tell. How do we use this information? Well, I mean, one of the other things that we can do is um, obviously we can probe it a bit more deeply and look at the nationality of those that are essentially under suspicion um, according to marriage registrars. And that's what the second table does. Um, and it shows that roughly 60% um, of the cases were accounted for um, by three nationalities, um, applicants who are either from Pakistan, India, or Nigeria, um, and then 40% the rest. Um, now, again, all the same questions and issues arise. Um, you know, if registrars find it easier to at least ask the question whether a marriage appears to be sham because they see some visible difference that kind of perhaps alerts them that this may be a question they want to ask, um, that might get recorded. If a registrar sees, for example, a Ukrainian marrying um, a Pole, um, they may not even ask that question because they may feel it's more normal. So, again, the nationality breakdown in this data is something where I think we should question it. It's not necessarily representing the truth. But having said that, this is data, it's real evidence, and it is interesting nonetheless. So again, I don't want to kind of you know, focus on the particular nationalities necessarily. It's important to question that. Um, but it's still interesting evidence, and it's very interesting how we can interpret this and how we can make more use of it. Um, 
finally, the, the bottom table, if you can see it there, is um, asking about the nationality of those who are sponsoring um, the people who marriage registrars themselves feel are engaging in a sham marriage. Um, and of the, in the case in 2010, 40% were marrying British citizens, um, but 50% were marrying EEA nationals. And those of you involved in this world may be aware that there are real questions and issues about um, non-EA nationals seeking to marry an EA national um, in order to gain entry to the United Kingdom. Um, that's you know, definitely a very live question for us. Um, we are aware from some of the cases we've had to deal with that this is, this is a genuine issue. Um, and this is quite, you know, over half of the people who are coming to the UK to marry um, are doing so marrying EA nationals. Of, I'm sorry, not half the people come to the UK. Half the people who are on suspicion of um, engaging in a sham marriage were doing so through marrying EA nationals in the United Kingdom, um, which again is, a, is an interesting, interesting perspective. Um, that was all I wanted to present in terms of the data. Um, they are very rich reports, I would emphasise that, so please go away and have a look at them. Um, I think you'll find them interesting. But really, we want to spend this morning, I think, thinking about what, what this sort of information, um, what questions it raises, how do we interpret it, what's it telling us about the story of migration and migrants within the UK, and what sort of additional questions, further questions we ought to be looking at um, to go beyond this. Thank you very much, John. We've got uh, half an hour for discussion.